Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. And what I mean by special, I made certain mics on here because we're talking about love. And that <laughs> right, Mike. Welcome, Mike. What's up, what's up, man? This should be a good time. <laughs> this is uh, Requiem's love episode. This is where we go over the book. Uh, I believe the title is like Strange Dead Love. Um, it was very goofy titled. And uh, I will get it correct, because strangely, that's the one thing I lost. It is Strange Dead Love. I actually had it in one, Mike. High five. Um, well done. So, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, what we have here is a great quote that I found in the book that, I, for me at least, it helps kind of encapsulate the concept of, of this here. The quote comes from Albert Camus, and it says, Love cannot accept what it is. Everywhere on earth, it cries out against kindness, compassion, intelligence, everything that leads to compromise. Love demands the impossible, the absolute, the sky on fire, inexhaustible springtime, life after death, and death itself transfigured into eternal life. Great quote, great find, I think, for this book. But I think what we're going to find in this book is done a bit different. It's only 63 pages, I believe it is, and that includes like the cover and the back and all that fun stuff. Um, but what are they trying to do here, Mike? What, do you, what, do you, what did you feel that the book goal was? Um, so if I'm going to just be frank, right, 100% honest, I think is trying to make people more comfortable or less awkward, however you want to say that, about a thing that at least, you know, here in the States, right, they might get all wiggly about. I came to be a vampire with superpowers, not a lover. This book is like a like a toolkit for that. It is a toolkit for that. And there are actually some points I feel I'm very strongly they missed because they okay. don't go as deep as they need to. Because yeah. they have to. They have to keep it a high. The reason why you have a book that people like me exist and have a thing that we do here, right? This uh, this sort of career here we got is because our an author can't go as deep as they'd like to. When we did uh, active interviews of writers and whatnot of books where we hunted them down and did that, um, mm -hmm. we, we did the key people we did and targeted because it would be useful to hear from them. So we felt about how deep and how hard it was getting into a book to, to do the book itself. What we found is they really kept a lot of shit close to the chest. Like they would say a lot more off mic than they would on mic, but the stuff they said off mic was the stuff we had interest in and we couldn't air it because they asked us not to, because mm -hmm. they, you know, they felt that we damaged their career to say something like, you know, the book we released, there was a lot more research we did, at least I did personally, and I really wish I could have put that in because I think fans would enjoy it, but it would have been exhaustive uh, to know all these odd factoids and things we pulled and stuff we went into. And I'm like, you don't understand. This genre has phases fans go through. Fans go through phases. You're in Vampire, you start with maybe the power fantasy and the cane growing. Or maybe you started because of the social dominance you never had or the chance to play the mean girl. But as you learn what they're trying to tell you a vampire is and what it is to be a human transforming to a vampire. Actually, let me phrase it correctly. You're a human who learns and discovers they're a monster mm. and having to deal yeah. with it, that dramatic feel of it. And then once you're the monster and you've accepted it, battled it enough, now you're going to learn that you're, you're not just any monster. You're a vampire and there's a society of monsters. <laughs> that you now belong to. And then there's that other phase, the final one, where you are absolutely the vampire fear, which is you've been a monster the whole time and you love it. And it's the very worst of it. And often people want to jump from point A, Cambro, to the final. They want to be the <laughs> alpha and the omega, right? That biblical power fantasy. But you, 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 there's a whole transition in the middle. Part of that, in, that transition in the middle is what writers really can't get to 
to tell you as a storyteller you need to inject to your players is to help them through a growth of these genres. All they can do is tell you, start at this setting and then hope and pray in the book they only had 125, 128 pages to write that you get, they want you to put them through this growth process. What do I mean? You may play a Chicago by Night made module story that's there about the La Sombra and what they're doing in a V5 book, Chicago by Night. That's just the start. And wherever you let that player sit down and start at, the hope is you let them continue to play that character to their next transition and evolution as players out of game, understanding fully what we're trying to, to make all these books for so that you get enjoyment. This is why someone like, I, I beat them up all the time because I really do think the world of them, but this is why someone like Matthew Dawkins has a career as stellar mm. as it has been. He gets all this knowledge and knows what players lack and what they're hungry for and what they want to taste. And so he tries to inject this as he goes along on all his writing he's done for Vampire. Justin Achille had that same bug, has it still, and they're trying to do that. I think uh, when we look at the, the future of what the Sabbat may be or may not, what a lot of people fail to realize is that that transition's there. Where you're stuck in the Sabbat of old, we didn't say throw that out. Hell, start your chronicle there. Start back when it's the, the 80s of the Sabbat and you're playing through that, but update it and know that you have the future update of what it's going to roll into in V5 so you can see where it's going, but then watch your players grow and maybe even change some of that, and that's okay to do. How does it pertain to this book? Because somehow, Mike, someway, <laughs> people thought that vampires could exist without the concept of love. You're one of them. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you about that. For me, it just didn't, it, it wasn't obvious because I didn't think of the experience of being a character that is a horror movie monster as being inherently emotional, right? Like, either I'm the monster that's actually the villain and I'm chasing my prey through the woods, and I do foul shit when I catch him because I'm the bad guy, or I'm the monster that's the anti-hero, and like, I do bad things, but for the right reasons, and it's an action movie. And so just coming into Masquerade back then, there wasn't the assumption that my character is not always in a car chase, or is not always making a bloody mess of somebody who I just decided was on the list today. You have other, other aspects of your life. So, and there is other aspects of your life, but maybe it goes beyond that. We're going to try something I thought would be fun to do. Um, hmm. I want you, cause you've seen some films. Um, hmm. Name me a vampire film that doesn't have the love theme in it. So you believe. Um, maybe the Fright Night remake with Colin Farrell. Um, okay. So let's I pause. Think, yeah. So Fright Night, Colin Farrell's character. Um, that is, uh, I actually forget that vampire's name. Uh, is it Jerry Dandridge? I think that I, I'm actually impressing with. I think that's it, actually. Yeah, that um, sounds right, yeah. 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 That character absolutely has a love element. Because in that world of Fright Night, what he is is somebody who was stolen by a particular clan. And that's what we're going to call them, or tribe of vampire. It's almost not fair to call them clan. But clan or mm -hmm. tribe, it's the same thing. And what it is is that they have a nesting ca uh, a capacity for them, as you see that film. And spoiler alert, um, that's what Jerry does. He's mm -hmm. going around picking these people in the beautifulest kinds because he has a sweet tooth. And he's choosing them for a reason. There's multiple elements of love in here where he may be brutal and predatory. You covet with your eyes before you do anything else. And your heart follows. That's often how it works. And or or sound. It could be either or. Really. There's many ways to go at it. But the attraction is the point. And when you attract a predator like Jerry, it's it's formulaic. He knows mm -hmm. he's going to have you. Now, in Fright Night, when you see it, the very people he feeds on, the very people he turns, often. And he has a nest of them underground, like hundreds of them. And, and why yeah. does he do it? Um, you could tell it's a theme of loneliness. It is, it is a power fantasy for him, right? He's the master vampire, but then he has all these beautiful younglings. Now, why did he make them? Well, look at them. Every one of them are these hot, almost Hollywood-caliber model-esque people that he's been mm -hmm. eating in, I believe, Las Vegas. And that's what he yeah. has there. 
And it's it's a love of power. It's a love of uh, being wanted that he needs and seeks. It's the intimacy. It's also, and we know this very well, um, a lot of folks call it a patriarchal society, but this is, I hate the rudeness for you ladies, I know your secret. This is unisex. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if you're a tra- if it's gay or not or otherwise, it doesn't matter orientation. We love to attract our so-called uh, choice partners. We all love to do it. We love to be wanted by them and we love to attract them. And the success of doing it is often what we're in love with. I call it the honeymoon period. You're infatuated with yourself, really. You got this person. They went on that date. Your series of talks works. You said everything right. You wore the right cologne or perfume. You're rocking the right outfit. And it doesn't even matter that it got intimate. Often the intimacy is a sign of the end, actually, if it's not going to work out because it just isn't what your fantasy thought it would be. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it does, and it can still be ongoing as it's still growing, and that's when you feel this might be the one. Ultimately, though, I tell everyone who finds a new lover, give it six months. Hey, let it lock in. Yes, because yeah. in six months' time, you're going to learn how much was that person putting on a show knowing that you were attracted to them and how much was them believing they were attracting you to them. So all along, you think you're pulling them to you and really they were pulling, you know what I mean? And it works yeah. both ways because you have to be allowing yourself to have this intimacy to accept it. And that's really, in a nutshell, what human beings do all the time because we fail to realize this love concept is uh, this bullshit. At the end of the day, love has many other descriptors to give to it beyond four letters. And it's been overplayed from Hallmark to whatever to to society. You even said it almost you feel it's a Western thing for gamers. It's not. It happens universal. It's worldwide. It's over here. Um, In Scandinavia, it's, it's all over. When people think of the concept of love, they immediately think of sex. It's like the first one they go to. And it's like that's it's not all there is to that. In particular, the vampire genre. And that's why I said, you pick Fright Night, you pick Jerry, that guy's hard, he's predatory, but at the same time, it's hard for, for maybe you to conceive, that guy doesn't know love. All you see is him terrifying some some hunters, and, and it happens to be a kid next door and his buddy, and what he might be doing. But if you pay attention past the goof and the Hollywood trope that Fright Night's known for, you begin to realize, actually, there is a lot of tragedy that's built into Jerry, and what he has to go through, and even what he is. It's sympathy for the devil. That's the Mm. key to vampire. Your love theme is actually sympathy for the devil. And if you look at other films, I'll give you the hardest genre maybe to see it, where where Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro almost ruined it. It's called The Strain. If you watch that TV series of The Strain, their type of vampire, there's nothing beautiful and wonderful about them. It's like you get a parasitic worm attached to you that makes you immortal, and that worm transforms your body. And you get the mm-hmm. classic of Rylocus vampire ancient mythology-like power, which is the strength, the speed, tricking minds, all the stuff that we know vampires have, except they're hideous. They feed from a tongue that lashes out and sticks to your face and sucks it up. If you haven't seen The Strain, Blade 2 is a quick reference. You yeah, know, your I was going to say, that's what it sounds like, yeah. yeah. It's, the same, it's the same thing. But even in both those films, when you look at The Strain, there's love in it. There absolutely is love. There's, there's characters in there that can't help. In fact, they use the Dracula theme. A group of hunters banded together to face down this ancient enemy, which is the origin of the strain, the source of the darkness. And in it, abstractly, there's a love for the heroes that can't let go of the darkness. There's an obsession there because their life has more importance because they know they're the only ones who know of it and therefore are the only ones who can kill it. At the same time, they have another theme in there. There's a Nazi that was made one of these strained vampires. And one of the hunters is a Jew who was hunted, was in a concentration camp, and found a way to save and extend his life in doing it. And so kind of a, kind of a way of saying he was seduced by power. And how far does it go for that hunter? And I don't know if that series continued. You might have saw some some elements of that because it's about, about the only way it could go. But the simple mm-hmm. fact is, is when you look at that, it's like, huh. So love as obsession is a theme. It's not only a theme, it's a constant theme. It's one of those things that vampire can't let go. You can look at Dracula. Uh, tell, um, 
Lost Boys. I don't even think I have to go there. Lost Boys has love in it. That's the whole reason the click falls apart, right? Uh, right Michael right, has right. a thing for Star. And that's uh, the beginning of the end because David realized his humanity that he still, he thought he loved Star. He doesn't love Star. He owns Star. Because yeah. if you're in power, often you can't see that what you're calling love isn't. And that's so, the thing. Don't let me knock you off too far off track, but let me just jump in here. So you think that we kind of, when we discuss love, or when we think of love in our games or role play or however you want to say that, we sell it a little bit too short. We make the word simpler and more narrow than it should be. Correct. When in reality, it captures all of these different possible. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. The word game you're playing when you think of it, in fact, when you build a story for horror, you need humans to be attached to it. Now, we fundamentally... I want nothing to do with the source of all evil. You tell me as Bob, Mike, you and me are on a podcast and something's able to hack in and goes, the evil is real. Bob, I <laughs> exist. Mike, I am coming for you. We are going to see Bob. <laughs> and it does all that. I quit. I quit. We are moving to the ass end of Cambodia. Good luck finding us on the side of a hat. I'll send you the ticket, Mike. I don't know how. Cut off the leg, sell some blood, but I'll try to save you, brother. Also, I don't want them to find you and thus me. So you guys need to hide with us. And we're going to go somewhere where nothing can find us. Why? It is not only that I have a healthy fear. If Superl doesn't exist, if it did, how would your world be? How would you really react? In other words, the human elements and the fun of being afraid of horror at all is understanding, well, how would you react in that situation? And the yeah. first thing you got to do is peel off the layer of, of it being that you're this immortal. Take away the armor, and how terrifying is the actual idea of it? And then you think of, okay, if that evil exists, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it, so how do I have a story? Now you begin to understand the writer's problem. And they have to give you something where that entity can't be over-the-top scary, break your neck, destroy everything, and then turn around and go, would you like a taste? I can give you a little of this power. Why don't you jump on board? You just got to kill everybody you know and love and everything you believe in. And that's the reason you live. Yeah, how about no? All right, back to destruction. And then and then you look at your ST and go, what fucking game am I playing? Like, this doesn't seem a lot of fun. And it doesn't because you don't have any buy-in. You don't have an attachment to the story, so it doesn't work. Now, Bob doesn't make any sense. Like, so you're saying vampire fundamentally you shouldn't play it? No. I'm saying here's the trick. When you start thinking about you as a vampire, you start thinking about your concept as a human being in the world. It's always where it begins. But part of that process is what do you like? What do you enjoy? What's your life like? What makes you smile? What makes you happy? What's your purpose in life? What did you want to do? And often that surrounds your occupation. Everything's geared to your occupation, your ability to provide for you and who you love. And, and thus all those things intertwine in a beautiful symmetry. And you think of those things, but you got to think of it for this fictitious person that you're going to portray. And that's where it must start. A lot of people say, I skip it, I do it different. Yeah, but that's why your character ends up losing flavor for you a year out and all you're living for is disciplines. It's because right. you didn't add the seasonings, mm -hmm. right? I call it, you can nuke your meal tonight and call that a pizza, or you can have the hand-rolled thing you did yourself, built with all the ingredients you like, built with the flavoring you like, with the sauce exactly you looked up and know what you're doing with. And you have a lot more and left over and portioned out because you don't need to manja bone five pounds of pizza. But you might make <laughs> it to save it, maybe even share it, and it's much more enjoyable. But that takes a lot of effort, Bob, and a lot of, yeah, of course it does. But that's why I said you can nuke make your character and slap a rubber stamp on it. Good luck down the road having enjoyment in them. And that's why you're buzzsaw throwing 20, 40, 60 of them and trying mm -hmm. to find the right game for the right character for the right time. Or worse, there's one type of character you feel you just didn't land. And in this game, I got killed too soon. And in this other game, I played it, but it didn't really feel like there was a challenge. In this game, I played it. I didn't really understand why they wouldn't let me have the discipline spread I exactly needed and blah, blah, blah. That person is still suffering the same affliction. You didn't put any onus into what you were before you added all the other stuff. So make the ingredients, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of, again, I, I've fallen victim to, to this in the past. You can think of a character as like a, a vehicle. I want to try this group of numbers or traits or statistics under a variety of circumstances and see how it plays out. And then like 
you get to the point where it's empty. As soon as whatever you guys discussed in a tavern from session one is no longer your, <laughs> your motivating focus, right? You just kind of, all right, well, uh, suppose I'm not dead yet. Um, what's next? I've seen Word. that. I felt that. There's, there's no fun. No fun. And so what we're going to do now, Mike, um, as we have that mark of a one hell of an intro, I went past my 10 minutes. We doubled that, by the way. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I want to do now is just kind of roll into the actual book and see what they're talking about. Now, like I said, I went deep, right? Obviously, I got deep thoughts on this and whatever, but we're going to go with what their intent is. Now, I'll say flat out, this book's designed for you to think of love from the vampire perspective, but also um, in your chronicle and how you would set it up and things like that. What we're going to do unique and different, we're going to quote some stuff from the book section by section because it's not that big because we're trying to make it last. So that's one of the reasons we're doing that. The other one is it might save some of you reading to hear it and then us to give a critique and maybe some ideas to throw it out further with that. Um, We thought that would be the best. I know that's the best method we're going to do. To that, I will kick it off as I said. And what we're going to do is jump into chapter one, props and themes. And what they're talking about in general is that this... uh, whole philosophy they have on here is about getting intimate uh, in a vampire sense. And they start off with this uh, this section by saying, sex doesn't just happen. Clothes fall to the floor, secrets are revealed, vulnerabilities are exposed. If you skip several steps between strangers, physical expressions of love become distinctively creepy. Appropriate material for vampire, but not at all romantic. By jumping from a first impression to full-on nudity in a romance, the players don't have enough time to care about the connection between characters. An emotionally charged scene is more than physical bodies going through the motions. It's about wanting to consume another character and never let go. When I read this, and I'm going to say that, Mike, I'm going to start this off. I laughed hysterically. <laughs> I want you to note that. Because it comes down to a point where it's like, you must think I'm like 13. And, and there's a lot that's a little too highfalutin, right? So it's it, they're correct. An emotionally charged scene is more than physical bodies going through the motions. 1,000%. This whole thing's correct. It's that end line. It's about wanting to consume another character and never let go. <laughs> right? It's almost like there should be a cut scene where I turn to the camera and it's like, dun-dun, and he cues some some track of, of high passion and obsession. Oh, and it's, it's like careless whisper, of course, yes. Right, and it's like... And like, I'm sitting there going, all right, I get that we're trying to inject romance to it, but at the same time, what was the target audience for this? And I feel the target audience is is different maybe from the mark. What do you feel about it so far? Um, I, I think they are aiming at people who this would be obvious to in real life, right? It's still for adults, but folks like me who come into vampire and it's like, all right, where's my badass and who do I get to punch? You know, if you're thinking of it like an action comic, it might not occur to you that you should treat a vampire um, as a whole person and the other characters as whole people as well. Even though, to be fair, Requiem is a lot clearer about those elements. Um, so you know, it's it's like uh, it's it's ground level. It's ground level, and I and I agree with that. It's it's setting the stage for what we're all about to talk about and what we're getting into. <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh, point that I caught here um, as they go forward is they talk about that in vampire vulnerabilities are shared and passions are explored through an intimate dance that demands a vampire's full attention. I'm going to give you another way I wish this said, but I feel it's a between-the-lines read. Mike, you enjoy playing the predator of what a vampire is. Am I right? Yeah, 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 for sure. All right. Um, I've seen you do this. In fact, I know how to play the fiddle that is the symphony that you want to see in a game because of it. I know it because we know our own. Now, I may have a more refined palette for length of time usage, but at the same time, I didn't let go of my framework. What got me in Vampire was the aspect that quite often I felt that when I saw the right um, partner, there was a hunger instilled in me I could relate to. It was a desire immediately. And often it was because of a certain um, charisma that someone tried to hide. And you may think that's weird. Who would hide charisma? Actually, everybody. It is the extroverts that, that throw out their charisma in a magnificent way. And that practice extroversion 
um, enables them to get into a lot of doors because honestly, they're the first to act, they're the first to mention it, and people get used to letting them have their way. That doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> that just if you open your mouth first doesn't mean you have anything worth saying. And often you exhaust the people around you from even bothering to deal with the tantrum. You are fully capable and experienced at throwing to get what you want. Now, that doesn't draw me. What draws me is that person who can say a lot with a sentence, but then stops. That start, stop. And, and, that's, and that's just a trait that I'm going for. I'm painting an example here. And so mm -hmm. that's a very human start. And the rest of it happens in my mind. Are they of worth to talk to? Is this a person who's trying to hide something from me? Am I coveting them or am I coveting the knowledge they have of experience? And what is that? And of course, their looks help. Absolutely, the looks help and can even uh, condemn or, uh, or drive the urge to get to know that person better and get close to them. However, there's a lot that can go wrong with that too. <laughs> and the same thing in vampires translatable. In other words, that's where the human relatability of being a vampire and intimacy is. Give you that scenario. You're the vampire now. You're Mike, but you're Mike the vampire. You're going to your typical night walking around the city, but your typical night walking around the city is not worrying about exhaustion, having enough money for a drink, and doing something to alleviate the boredom. You're not bored. You're a predator. You can hear people from far away. You can hear conversations you're not privy to. You've done explored life as a neonate to figure out, my senses can pick up so much, and people almost move slower than I ever thought possible here. Time is almost a weight around my shoulders as things just don't happen at the speed they once did. And thus it makes them almost childlike. I could kill anyone that I set my eyes on right now in any ambushing-like fashion. And hell, may even straight up if I choose to exude myself, but I have a fear of that power. Imagine that. I have a fear of my strength. It's the equivalent mm -hmm. of you powerlifting in your glory, being a vampire, right? The equivalent of you walking amongst toddlers as mortals because you could smash and break them like tinder. So it makes it real easy for you to separate yourself from them because they're not your equal. They're not in any way on your level of what you are. But yet you walk amongst them. It's like a playground. And that predatory instinct to see it as that, that way is there. But then one of them in particular catches your eye for some reason. Out of any of the nights that you've walked around, any of the hours you've spent, one person's scent draws your attention. One person's stance as you watch them in the club dancing makes you want to get to know them. And, and you realize it's not even a female. You're typical. Mm -hmm. There's a guy who's free to be himself, who's effeminate enough and extroverted enough not to care what anybody thinks about who he is or what he does, he takes care of himself, but he's defiant to all the norms. He stands in his own too, and he rails against the world and the way it is, much like you do in your vampire night society. The same one that says, even while you're feeding, if you so much as make a mistake tonight, they're, they're going to find you. However, as you listen to this person, you start smiling and laughing because it's like, what they are is what's in you, but they can express it. They're free to do it. And what I'm highlighting is the attributes about them that you like, you're actually projecting and fantasizing that this person is that. So you're coveting what you can make them or what you're seeing them as. But tragedy can strike here. Mm -hmm. You can see this. Because what happens when you get intimate and close enough? And by the way, you can't get intimate with this guy. You don't have to fuck him. It is possible to get intimacy as one-on-one, -on -one, a private moment that you could share with them where you're off to the side talking about lives and stuff and things. And what, what could that be, folks? Anything. It could be the right political topic. It could be the right sports team. It could be anything that gets you and that one person to the side to talk about a shared hobby, love interest, or whatever it is, to open them up and bear the weakness inside to see each other. And if you're able to do it, there's just one catch here. In this fantasy that you have, Mike, your predator is expecting everything to fall into place exactly as you need it. And in order for you not to not to want to kill this person, i.e., you don't want to get angry in this process. Because it's possible you've deluded yourself. You get all the way to the end to learn that this guy has uh, absolutely no interest in you, thinks you're weird or off or insults you in some way. And then your beast wants to snap his neck, tear out his throat, feast on his blood. It turns from a 
obsessive love to that obsession turns to rage because you were what? Rejected. Rejected. Yeah. Yeah. Self-rejection. And mm -hmm. this is talking about how you have to build this, these little moments. You can't go from Mike stalking the night, making a die roll. You see a guy in the club, you talk to the guy, but that's the only dude available because he seems like he's relatable, but you know, whatever you want to do. And then Mike goes, well, that doesn't really fit me. I want to, you know, I wouldn't fuck him. So I want to actually get the girl that I could, I could lay pipe with. So I'm going to look for the dits at the bar somewhere and be a lot easier to convince to go outside. <laughs> when that happens, we've just ruined intimacy. We've ruined the whole connection to get insight into your character as to why you would have chosen your prey. That's the intimacy of vampire they're talking about. That's, that's that love interest that's important. Because the vampire... If you were immortal, your interest doesn't even work the way the formula's kind of kind of played out here. At the barest level, it is, right? It's like, oh, you're going to see someone. You're kind of going to be, oh, how's that person? And then maybe we talk a thousand times, you know, whatever it takes to eventually move on to the dating thing. That's typical human behavior because you don't want to fuck it up. But the reality is we want to build this to be a much faster system to hold an interest in a game, right, or in a movie scenario. So what am I saying? Um, we're going to take my fast-forwarding through here and break it down as they talk about it. They say in Vampire, vulnerabilities are shared and passion are explored, like I said, just to refresh what you got going on. And an intimate mm -hmm. dance that needs your full attention must be underway. So in this sense, they talk about choosing a partner. Um, Mike, do you mind reading that for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, a coy glance. Eyes locked. Intense stares. Eye contact shows what's on a vampire's mind and opens the door to a new conversation. Maybe a Nosferatu is shy and a police officer dares to lock eyes with him. Maybe a maquette makes her secret intentions known to a songstress by staring at her from across the room. Or maybe a Ventru tracks down a disdainful model because she refused to even look at him. And, and I adore this. I adore this. We're not going to beat this to death. I think they said it best, right? Choosing a partner is, uh, meaning I'm not going to belabor what they said here, but choosing a partner is probably the most important thing in terms of in hunting. Because once you find the spot and you're in your place where you normally would find your victim, well, how are you going to draw them to you? Now, for those of you who think this book is just about getting it on and bringing condoms, we already are off in the pale of what you thought it was. This is this is teaching you how to feed. Yeah. Right? But Off the bat. It's it's more than that too, right? Because if you want to feed, you could just go down to the 7-Eleven and be like, hey, homie, help me get this beer right quick. Man, man, man. And you got you a meal. Now, certainly you are not incorrect, but feeding is more about just getting it done. Because what's your survivability yeah. for doing that? Because you come oh. down to my neighborhood, to my 7-Eleven, and you punch someone, take them to the ground, and yeah, 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 you know, whatever that means. <laughs> there are people taking photos, there's police called, and and freaking, what you're going to have is a problem. Because I promise you, the police out here are going to find you quick and, and deal with your ass, and that's that's just how it is. You don't want to do that. Now, what happens? Now, certainly you're a vampire, you can yeah, 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 the police too. But where's this escalating? <laughs> So you cause an instant, I was hungry, so I fed my prince. And so I beat the shit out the guy at the counter. He only had a dollar fifty getting Funyuns and whatnot. <laughs> Besides, I owed a lot from this monster a buck fifty. And I just didn't feel like paying it that night. So I beat him, took his buck fifty, then the police got there. And I know what you would do, your magnificence. You wouldn't let police officers lay hands on you, so I didn't. I mind screwed one, I elbow dropped the other into oblivion. And he in a coma dying, and the other one couldn't describe me, and I left. And the prince goes... But then you burn the place down. And you go, yep, can't have that evidence. Just too much. Too much. Right. You should have just got too much. Because <laughs> what's the inevitable? What's the freaking inevitable? So you just told the prince, every time I feed, I'm going to burn a building down. Right. That won't do. That won't not do. Will not you. do. You're dead. I hope you're thinking about your new character. Because <laughs> right. that's where it, should be and where it should end up. Right? Now... If it doesn't, fine. You know, that happens. But we're, basically this book is saying there, vampires should be thinking of a sustainable way to survive in, in night society and feed. 
And so the logical conclusion is you uphold the masquerade. Yeah, and, you and in pretend- doing so, you are you, you're you're vulnerable to these situations where it comes up and it's not just a snack. You got it. If you're taking the you're taking the time to uphold the masquerade, and the fact that you've learned to slow down means that eventually, sooner or later, one of these people, one of these situations is going to call to something inside of you and you're going to have to respond with more than just your your fangs. You got it. And yeah. so let's let's finish this out, though. So we got choosing a partner and how you would bring them from like across the room. Then the second step is the invitation, right? That's what they worded. It says fingertips brush, bodies bump, handshake, characters meet, they talk, and maybe they touch. The more comfortable they are, the closer their bodies will move. The more anxious they are, the faster they'll want to pull away. A maquette trails a few steps behind a librarian for days until the mortal realizes he's there. A deva expects her lovers to hang on uh, hang on her like accessories and flounces off when she doesn't get her way. Vampires and mortals pick their partners and either cue the music or find someone else. When the invitation is accepted, personal boundaries are blurred. And so... What we have here is very much what I was talking about earlier. The the duh. Right? I like you. <laughs> and I think I'm drawing you to me. And if you accept at all, means my plan has worked. However, what I don't know is that you were trying to choose me as a partner and gave that coy glance, which is why I thought I had the cue to come over to talk to you in the first place. You yourself have given a silent invitation. It just so happens mine might be stronger. And if we still feel this is good after our conversation, I invite you to come into my home. Now, anybody who's anybody knows that's all Dracula needs. Right. 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 You invite you, you invite old Jerry Dandridge. Invite old Jerry Dandridge in and what's gonna happen? You if you're lucky, he'll kill you. <laughs> City. That's what's gonna happen. He thinks your mom's hot, right? All that stuff. It's actually a very cool vampire film, but the uh the, the aspects here is just that, uh, okay, cool, so we get this. We're breaking this down to a formulaic predatory sense, which is where they want to keep it. Choose your partner, however it is. The invitation's given. Now there's the promenade, Mike, and what is that? Uh, an arm snakes around a waist. Foreheads touch. Hands clasp. Intentional and prolonged physical gestures are expressions of complex emotions. Infatuation, possession, respect, desire, lust. A true rests her hand on her date's forearm. A ganger walks around with his hand on the back of his lover's neck. No clothes have come off. That doesn't mean both of these vampires don't have something else on their minds. Which date would you rather be? <laughs> the, the, the first refrain can be tough for characters to learn, but once they do, their music sounds that much sweeter and the blood tastes that much better. Once the lovers are swept up in the music, they'll drown themselves in each other through their passions. I feel that's pretty easy. It's the escalation, obviously, of the invitation. How I take you to where we're going to go, to where we can be more intimate. It's just highlighting there's levels to this ish. And uh, this also doesn't mean it has to go exactly the way they're talking about. That's why the examples vary as much as they do. Um, Let's say this is more, is there a way, Mike, that you could see this to be more predatory? Because obviously this is geared to a romance fake doing whatever there is, but how would it fit you to fit more to your flavor where it's less uh, Valentine card and more, do what I say, wear the gimp mask? Well, so if I'm if I'm approaching the promenade as a predator, I am I have done the previous thing. I've let you know that I'm interested, but you don't know that I'm watching you as often as I am. I'm learning your habits. I know how long it takes you to pump gas. I know which side of the elevator you prefer to stand on when you're going in or coming out of work. I am becoming intimate with you and you don't realize it. So that when the time comes for me to take from you what I've come to take, it'll be swift and brutal. And you will think that there was never an option. So in other words, for you, the song, your vampire predatory style, you always hear is, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's, that's where you're at. I just want to make sure we got that because I I had chills, right? The aspect that there's a great fear. And and ironically, it's it's not just women who think this. 
that uh, when you walk around alone at night in the wrong neighborhood, even you feel this, Mike. You get you try to walk larger, make more noise, seem more intimidating. Your face gets firmer, your jaw gets set. You want to make it look like whoever's looking at you and thinking it's going to be something. Not tonight, not now, and definitely not with me. It's the right. puffing out of the quills that the porcupine does, and that's what you want to be as the victim. But if you can understand that victim, then you understand what Mike's talking about. There's a predator out there making you feel that way, and all that is is flirting. The more they're out there believing that you're not watching, you are watching. And to something, some creature that's obsessing about that, that's the fear scent that is always uh, tropally mentioned in certain uh, books and horror films and even role play I've seen. I can smell mm. your fear. And I'm always like, can you describe what that is exactly, Blair? Or is that something cool <laughs> you saw outside of a comic once? And why I do that is because I want to believe you think that. But then I want to see the instinctual impulse always being a part of you. Because what you've just communicated is that you are so bestial that the aspect of even masking the fact that this person has drawn you to them is something that you just purely act upon. And that's what it is, which is very cool if you can do it. And saying things like that accentuates the RP. However, often it just seems to be a power thing to say. And that's what ruins it. And that's the difference. What you describe is a way for it to be exactly what it needs to be, right? Now, I push that forward because there are other ways to be as predatory as you're talking about that isn't so uh, that somebody would label it Cambro, but to me it still is. It's some of my go-tos. When I want to play a vampire, I want to attract somebody in the club. I often take wealth to do just that. Do you know what's very flattering for someone? They receive that expensive top shelf drink yeah. randomly. And when they ask for who, you point to the VIP section because that's what you paid $100 to the waiter or waitress for to send them <laughs> up there to you. Now, yeah. in reality, my character could care less about the morsel that accepts my invite. I do this to everybody. That's how I hunt. That waitress probably is a blood doll. Because if I can't find anything, I will use her accordingly. And she knows what I am because I am that much of a sadist. I will more than end your life if you ever try to tell anyone I exist. And no one will believe you I'm real. After all, what mark do you have? But I know the drug of the kiss, and it's so good to you. It's great. But I can't keep feeding on you. You only have so many pints. And I don't. you look a little wafy. But the point is, you're good-looking enough to convince someone. And women do love when another girlfriend leads them astray. So I use you to bring the top shelf and you had better give a stellar performance because your name is Donna Harding, address, blah, 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 down the block in my domain. I can't find you. You've lost your ID, but here's an extra 300 to replace it. (laughs) She's going to do it. And why? I'm keeping that predatory tip. I'm still doing the part of the invitation. It's just we're advancing to the invitation to get them to come up. Now, the performance is even sweeter If you, the player, and the storyteller understand how you really feel, that ST is curious about one thing. Your weakness is what you're highlighting. And and you got to make sure the player knows that. I know, Mike, your weakness is having a vulnerability of even knowing what love is, but you still have it. You have it because you're hyper-focusing on the cruelty or the sadistic part of you. But in reality, why are you bothering with this whole setup if you're just this monster roving through killing and eating people? And it's because you do care about things. You do care about you existing and everything else. And you maybe care about this person. You do protest too much. And so you're looking for the right person. You're looking for the right person to come up in your superiority. And when that right person's there, you'll interview them. You'll talk to them. You'll give whatever dance and facade you're putting on. Because you're not going to feed in the club. You want time with them. And when you leave, you may add them to it. And that's how it goes. And one night that'll be that. But that is a story development is having a a monster have a love that they can find no matter what it is, whether it's a bond through friendship, whether it's an actual chill they find and discover in potential, which is definitely a snare that can happen with this, or it's just another person to add to the herd. doesn't really matter. Infatuation or different types of love are all possible. And this step process helps you figure that out as a player. And as I like saying often, players are co-storytellers until it's a game on. You're trying to tell how, your vampire exists in the world, and you're trying to collaborate with your storyteller to figure out exactly where that fits in and to know what to expect. And that's part of the process. And we'll get to the important part. I say the important part because it's beating around the bush because it's a lot to read here. 
But we got to get in here when we get to the part about sex and the kiss, the final moment. A trail of lingerie leads up the stairs. Bodies huddle naked under the stars. The music beckons and a vampire makes his final move. It's either sex, a kiss, or both. But which one does he choose? Kindred can have sex and use the blush of life to appear mortal, but it's nothing like feeling that coppery sweet blood pouring into their cold veins and satiating their beast for another night. That doesn't mean a vampire wouldn't try to please their mortal lovers. The kiss feels good to them, too. Sex to the kindred is a physical sensation that isn't always tied to their emotions. Unfortunately, it's everything to a mortal, especially if she doesn't suspect vampires exist. As the final step in an intimate and uniquely personal uh, dance, that uh, first assignation um, changes everything. It's a catalyst that drives the characters into each other's arms for another night or sends them on their separate ways. It's a goal that tests the temperature of the relationship or only gives one of the partners what he wants. The sex may get better or worse over time, but nothing is as memorable as that first night. So what we got here is what a vampire could get from it. And they go on to talk about the insights. I'm stopping there because it's a lot of breaking it down mm -hmm. minutely describing what happens. But everyone here has had sex. I'm going to make that assumption because it shouldn't be a mystery so far. But if you haven't, um, it'll be a little harder to grasp, but understand something. First and foremost, if you're a virgin, it's not as hyped up as you believe it to be, but you won't listen to me until you do. Um, it is a good feeling. It's great. It's an intimate connection, but uh, not much different than masturbation. Um, what I'm saying here is that you have to really care about a person to truly enjoy that moment. And, and what do I mean? Um, let's be personal here. It is that sex moment. What separates a kindred's urges from the mortal they were? A kindred doesn't need to fake to have sex at all to enjoy this moment. The blood is all. The blood is the life. For all the reasons you just heard. We don't go into them again. However, there is an important aspect in the after effects of that physicality. Once fed, I have the afterglow, as it said. I fed <laughs> from you. You're weak in my arms. The enjoyment is there and whatever. I'm going to tell you what they don't tell you, which is a truth. If you've ever wondered what it's like for a hunter to respect and track down the prey they've been hunting for for the last eight hours that they've been hoping to find and hoping to catch the weak moment and then seal the deal with that gunshot and, and the prey's dead when they walk up upon it, that feeling to see it firsthand and I have it's a terrifying moment for you who hadn't, who didn't do the shot. But always for the person who did the shot, they are alive. They are almost electrified. They know what they did. They care for that animal. They're going to clean it, teach it proper, handle it proper, do all the things that you expect a good hunter to do, at least in my experience. And most importantly, though, they're, they've turned into the consummate teacher. They want everybody to know why they did it, and they want to know how much they respect this animal and what they've died for and all the things here, and that this meat's going to feed the family and everything else. We're wasting nothing. And they do a lot with it. That That's one type of hunter. That's a mortal hunter. It's probably the closest they're ever going to be. I'd say since the dawn of time, when we've snuffed out a life, there is a power trip that we feel. It's the best drug ever. And anyone hearing this doesn't understand what this is unless you're a murderer and turn yourself in. And the, the aspect is that the best prey is always going to be humans. And that's the most terrifying aspect. Any soldier understands this and more. Um, if you've had to kill anybody, one of the hardest things to get is how easy it is. And then to separate your ego from it. Usually there's survivor's guilt and things like that. And you can read up on a lot of these concepts. But all of them have an overriding element of battling this inner urge that says that that felt good. They don't want to admit it. Now, would you say that that's because, you know, as a as a human hunter, you this is prey you can relate to? You got it. Yeah. OK. You got it. Right. There's a need. Why do we hunt? Mm -hmm. There is a need for the meat and sustenance that we're hunting for. I'm not saying every time, but typically in hunting season, the hunters I've been with, they they're not people going to the store buying meat left and right. They have stuff in the freezer from the last hunt. And so as the stores get low, they wait for the season, they get their tags, they get their rights, and they are off to the hunt. They plan all year for it. And then they get more meat because one animal sustains a family for quite some time. And But they're, like, like, like he said, he's going to use all of them. And I was brought mm -hmm. along for the ride. I was given a freaking bow. 
let's just say <laughs> me and a bow don't mix, right? There was a lot of – it just didn't work out. But keeping up with this guy over I – mean, I do mean we were out there for over a period of eight hours of going uphill, downhill, walking. Often he's on the horizon because we can let our scent interfere, and we were supposed to try to follow his trail through by you know doing all, all these things he wants to learn. They're not pastimes. He's trying to hand down a trait. In a, in a, there's an intimacy there. He's trying to give me the skill set that he has to showcase how to provide for my family if the world was like we don't have grocery stores and shit, right? Mm-hmm. And so you sit around, drink beers, you hear what's going on. But the most important thing I always remember asking me says, you know, Bob, through it all, even if you don't remember what you did, how do you feel about it? I said, I'm going to be honest. I feel really shitty. And he stopped me right there and he goes, you don't feel shitty for the animal, though. I hung him up. I bled him. I cut him. I watched you sit there and watch it. I gutted it. You helped me deal with that. You helped me carry it to the truck. We got it secured. We did all that. You're enjoying yourself some jerky on this trip, this trip right now. You don't, So your problem isn't the meat or the killing. What's the issue? And I had to admit to him, I did all that hunting. I did all that tracking. It wasn't me who killed the animal. So I feel mm-hmm. not only did I miss out, there was some great thing that happened that I saw that I didn't get to do. But at the same time, when my logic hit me, I said, do I want that? Do I want that taste of power where he's well-rounded and did it and has a purity to it and it's a tradition in his family and I can respect that. There are many hunters who get in a fucking helicopter, fly around with an, with an AK-47 and shoot at warthogs and call it hunting. Don't even use for me, just a trophy hunting, right? And it belies the point. I feel this book breaks down the process of attracting humans so that you break away from the aspect of, I'm going to blitz them in an alley and knock them out and feed and move on. Blood, feed, move. Because you're missing out and all you are is in that helicopter with the warthog. And what you need to be is the slow. Because you know what's the sweetest? I'm going to tell you what the sweetest thing is. When you truly play a monster... And you let go of your your breaks that you have in your head where you're going to feel uncomfortable about X, Y, and Z. And you actually play a seducer and you have a humanity and you go through the aspect that I may actually feel something for this fictitious character that I'm seducing right now and bringing home. And I sit down and I know how hungry I am and why it started. And the ST is describing a gentle conversation. It seems to be going pretty good, right? She's eating out of my hand. She's gorgeous. You know, she's a nursing student or she's in business class or she's got however means that her career ahead of her uh, just, you know, lovely, lovely person, it seems. And the whole entire time I'm feigning the right smile, but I'm saying they're letting the ST know that this is becoming harder and harder to do. And he could see it because I have a conscience to play. But at the same time, the ST, because they're good, they're not sitting there telling me, yeah, you feel kind of shitty. Maybe you don't do that. It's not what they're doing. I'm already in that emotion and feeling that, which is why I haven't sealed the deal yet. What they're doing is describing the urge that every time she mentions her future and what she wants, there's almost an egotistical smirk is that her future may be seconds. She smells so much better every time she takes in a deep breath and I see that vein pulse one more time in her neck. I hope she uncrosses her legs across them again, if for one reason, to understand that I'm permitting her to move. What would she do if I picked her up right now and let her know she's not in control of a damn thing? All her talk about being a lawyer. And it gets even better. I'll tell you pound for pound where it's always obvious is when you take a female role player and ideally if they're a small in stature, right? Then what I mean by that is they're an introverted person who doesn't really express aggression and, <laughs> and stature is changeable. I don't mean that that's how they are. I mean, they seem to be that way. But the character they made is often a seducer. They're getting used to the game, whatever. When you tell them what it really is like to hunt and to feed. And you bring them through the process because they choose seduction and are there. But they're with a guy like 410 pounds of solid muscle bodybuilder who spent a lot of money to get with her. But this guy is a good guy. And he's sitting there saying stuff like, I, I, did, I thought you were going to reject me, honestly. And she's <laughs> like, what do you mean reject you? You're gorgeous. You're obviously strong. What, what gave you that impression? And I watched this female turn into a predator. I watched this player not be who they've been the entire time we've talked. The flip. Because what's going on? Yeah. You're playing a symphony of a web they've entrapped their prey in. And this guy's a big, big fly. Juicy even. And as they're sitting there, 
this guy is like, uh, yeah, you know, so like, I don't want to do step wrong at all, but I thought maybe, how am I just leave you at your doorstep tonight? Because I really like you. And maybe we go running tomorrow. You said you're, you're pretty athletic. Maybe you want to go for a jog. You know, well, I'll cook lunch for you and uh, we can eat out of my house. I got a shitty balcony, but you know, I got to keep up with what I do. So I don't have a whole lot like that. And she goes, nonsense, come in. <laughs> now why she said nonsense, come in is because she wants to feed tonight. And that's the point. But the other aspect is, is that she has something in her to say, this guy thinks he has power and strength. And you're the deva. And it's yeah. like, oh, my sweet dream, come with me upstairs. And as he gets upstairs, <laughs> she deliberately describes how I'm going to allow him to open the door, <clears throat> knowing the door jams. And when the door jams and he has a little trouble doing it, I'm just going to walk forward and push it with my finger. And if it breaks <laughs> the lock, it, I want him to see that, though. I want to see what he does. So what are they doing here? It's interesting. When a player adds that in, they are in the moment of understanding exactly what they are and enjoying what that could mean in the feel of that power. How does this relate to the hunter and the kill? When we get to that sex part and what you have going on, that whole intimacy, and why it even says you can go one way and surely get to the sex, which is a hook and that's the thing you can do. The real issue here is that the player has to pick the avenue they want to go down to express the type of vampire they are. They most yeah. certainly are making the choice out of love, whether it's a love for predator as power or it's a love for that fulfillment of emotion or it's the actual addiction that they're in love with of the blood itself. That obsession is exactly and precisely what this entire book is about, is those processes of opening up to get there. So what you're saying is we have to, if if we maintain like this this openness this acceptance of different versions of love and obsession what we're doing is we're seasoning our food right as opposed to just ah. eating some chicken breasts all dried out and shit uh, with no well, sauce right <laughs> eighteen years Mike and it took this book it was another way and finally for all recorded history you are no longer king bro you have graduated. My Ancilla brethren, you're right where I'm at in understanding that's precisely what this is. You can call it true love, folks, but like all true love, it rotted on the vine, right? That's yeah. the inevitable end. When you're an immortal and you're no longer infatuated with a mortal, they are just food. And it will happen. On a long enough timeline, they are just food. Doesn't matter. But that's the curse. That's what this book does. So... Because we spent a lot of time on it getting over the basics of just one chapter, we're telling you there's a lot of this content in here to widen further and open up your discussion even further. And I recommend that maybe one night you spend with your troop before you run a game to kind of go over this, to let them know of the opportunity and the seasoning, as Mike put it beautifully, that you can add to your chronicle. But I want to add to the points that they have for a lot of what goes on here. They have storytelling techniques and templates in here of how you might inject some themes in your chronicle to help that out. And they have probably the most important thing in here that I won't end this without mentioning. The idea of playing a two-storyteller game, hmm. but only two people in the game. Mm -hmm. The intimacy of two. There's many ways to play Vampire, Requiem or otherwise. And this right here, they mentioned the possibility of doing it. However, what I want to point out is, is that if you do do this, suddenly everything's on the table and it slows down to a level where you and another person can absolutely have a great and enjoyable game in the same four-hour period if you chose to have that game. So it's designed for those uh, those folks who enjoy uh, the thoughts and ideas of one another in terms of what Vampire is and want to play around with a certain genre or idea. I myself have done this several times. And not, honestly, I would, I would argue that I do this quite a bit when I run what is called, quote-unquote, the side scene with just the player in the ST. You're effectively going through this process. But this says designing a game from the start to the implementation of both being storytellers having turns at the wheel dictating two characters in a world of, of, uh, of Requiem in this case, or any game really. You don't have to be just Requiem, but Vampire is a theme uh, that they go to. That's in here. Uh, with that said, uh, we at the very least hope we've entertained you with the idea of love in a game. And uh, because it's a 65-page book, we just wanted to titillate and kind of poke at a theme that we all know and understand. Everybody does get love, sex, attraction, and whatnot, but you don't necessarily focus on it. And you may have never given it a second glance because your game is your game and you just don't put that much seasoning. You might be 
I eat my frozen pizza type of player. But let me tell you something. You haven't lived until you've rolled your own dough. That's all I'm saying. That's a tastier venture. Trust me by far. And it's way better and you get more out of it. And it's healthier, honestly. So um, with that said, Mikey, anything to add? Nope, nope. I'm going to keep this book in my repertoire. That's all. Smart move. It's inroads. It's ways to trick people that you are more than maybe you seem. We're all just predators, <laughs> folks. Enjoy your blood where you get it. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Mike. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.